So we need to stand up for the unborn. Uh, let me just show you how bad these things have gotten here. You know, the argument used to be that the unborn baby is not a human being. That was the argument that a lot of people were using. And, and by the way, that was never the position of the leaders of the, I'm talking the, the big leaders, the Nobel Prize winners. I'm talking about Margaret Sanger, the, uh, uh, the, the lady, if you want to call her a lady, I don't really know if, uh, if, if there's a word to describe her when you really find out uh, what she believed. But, uh, but the founder of Planned Parenthood uh, knew that it was human beings that would be put to death uh, through abortion. And it was just kind of a smokescreen argument that uh, only the lower echelons of the pro-abortion movement really believed that the, this was just tissue, it wasn't real human beings. Uh, but just to show you how obvious the murder of the unborn has become, uh, we heard about partial birth abortions because our president, despite the fact that uh, most of the Republicans and a good portion of the Democrats in both houses of Congress uh, voted overwhelmingly to ban partial birth abortions but then our president decided to veto that and uh, let me just read to you this is uh, this is something that you know is, is very gruesome but it's it's a fact that we need to face um, it's pretty. The Third Reich is making a comeback, and it's not just out there in, in, in China where they force abortions on people, but it's going on right here, where uh, uh, the, the, the same things that we slammed Adolf Hitler for doing, and we slammed him rightfully so. Um, those things are being done in this country uh, right now, but uh, partial birth abortions. Uh, I was going to read the definition given from, a, from the Bremerton Sun uh, months ago, but instead I decided to read from uh, the uh, 700 Club, one of their, their fact sheets on partial birth abortions. They quote a doctor, Paul Opsel, and uh, he describes exactly what occurs in these uh, partial birth abortions. He states, he states this, you need to dilate uh, the cervix first. After maneuvering the infant through the birth canal feet first, the abortionist delivers the baby's entire body except for the head, which remains inside the birth canal. So you have everything, uh, the whole baby's body is outside the, the womb now, is outside of the mother except for the head. Then the abortionist uh, reaches for his scissors. You push the scissors through the neck and into the brain. You've just made an opening in the skull, and of course, you just basically killed the baby. Uh, then this fact sheet goes on further to say, killing the baby is not the final step, however. The abortionist then reaches for a suction-type device called a catheter. Dr. Opsel describes the catheter's use. Stick it through into the brain, and suck out all the brain tissue that's in there. At this point, the skull collapses, and you can usually pull the rest of the baby out. Now, you know, 
we like to refer to America as, uh, you know, one nation under God. You know, maybe, maybe we ought to change the name it, uh, to uh, one nation under God's judgment. Um, but certainly it's, it's hypocritical to call us one nation under God at this point in our history when we can do... I mean, how can you pull a baby out of the womb? You know, I can understand that, that, that there's going to be some people that don't understand enough about medical science to think that the unborn uh, is not really a human being. You know, there might be some people who are misled. But to pull a baby by the, the feet, totally out of the womb with the exception of the head, and then to, to crush that baby's head and uh, be able to sleep well that night, uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious. It is pretty obvious you're killing a defenseless, innocent human being. And there's no two ways about it. And, uh, and so, you know, hey, a guy can be the President of the United States. He's still going to stand before our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is going to stand in judgment on the kings of this, of this world including the President of the United States. And uh, we, we've got to call it like it is. Murder is murder. Now, we, we don't ever want to lose sight of what God's called us to do. Uh, just recently, in the Berean call, Dave, Dave Hunt has a newsletter, and Dave Hunt is a tremendous defender of the faith, and I don't agree with him on everything. Uh, but he's getting in a big debate with Randall Terry, the founder and the head of Operation, Operation uh, Rescue, where they try to, uh, you know, they protest at abortion clinics and, and get arrested and things of that sort. And uh, Dave Hunt, in one of his books, said that Christians should not get involved in political and social activism. It's our job to preach the gospel. And, and instead of spending all that time on protesting these things, we ought to be, you know, just, just preaching the gospel. Randall Terry hearing that from Dave Hunt, then turned around and, uh, you know, acted like Dave Hunt had apostatized from the faith. Now, I'll, I'll just let you know where I stand before we get uh, into the, uh, the body of this message today. I think both guys are wrong. I think both guys are at different extremes, and, and there's some, some middle ground in there. Uh, Dave Hunt is right that the preaching of the gospel is the priority for Christians, okay? Uh, where Dave Hunt is wrong uh, is when he acts like that's all we're supposed to do. Because, you know, Dave Hunt would openly agree, if a man's a carpenter by trade to take care of his family, he better spend a good 40, 50, 60 hours a week at his trade. Well, if it's important enough to do that, then maybe it's important enough to spend a couple hours a week uh, trying to stop some of the uh, social evils that are going on, trying to protect human life or whatever. Uh, Randall Terry, I don't doubt that Randall Terry's called to do what he's done, but it doesn't mean that everybody is called to do what he's doing. And so I think there's a balance there, but I do think that God has called his church to stand up for human, the sanctity of human life because if God's people aren't going to do it, Nobody else is going to, you know, come rushing to line up to volunteer. And uh, so uh, I do believe that we have a role. I take the view of uh, the late Christian thinker Francis Schaeffer. Uh, 
who basically taught that Jesus should be the Lord over every aspect of our lives. Now, I, think, I believe we Americans, American Christians need to be more politically active than any other Christians on earth because we have more political freedom than any other Christians on earth. Okay? So, you know, back in Rome, you know, even Paul, who was a Roman citizen, you didn't see him involved in, in political activism, but, you know, he really didn't have that much freedom. The senators laid out the law and that was it. And, uh, uh, but then when they said you can't preach the gospel, uh, the apostles were willing to die uh, rather than to submit to a, a, a godless uh, government and lo governmental law like that. But the Lord Jesus, we must make Jesus the Lord over every aspect of our lives, and that's going to include our actions in the political and social arena. It's like the, the Good Samaritan. I mean, if you take Dave Hunt literally, when the Good Samaritan came, he saw a, a beat-up Jewish man laying on the ground, and he helped him out and took care of him and sent him to a, uh, uh, an inn and told the guy, I'll be by tomorrow and I'll pay his bill. If Dave Hunt is, is correct, um, then I, I, I guess what the Good Samaritan should have done was just preach the gospel to him and then just let him leave him there to die. Uh, if Randall Terry is cor correct, you never preach the gospel. You just All you do is spend all your life being a Good Samaritan, doing social work. So there's a balance. There is a balance. But the gospel always takes priority at the same time. I'll, I'll be honest, I would, if I did not stand up, if, if we're killing over a million innocent babies in this country, and I don't stand up and at least speak against that, then why in the world should I expect Joe Schmo down the block to listen to me when I tell him that I know uh, the, the way to eternal life? And I explained Jesus to him. I, I wouldn't expect him, you know. And, and the sad thing is, too, is there were many quiet Christians in Germany who turned and looked the other way when Hitler began to kill the Jews. And, uh, and then a lot of them got involved and tried to help the Jews later on. But it was much, much later. Uh, we need to be bold and uh, we need to stand up for human life. Um, and we need to do it right away. Uh, take a look at Genesis chapter 1. My, my first point that I want to make here, number, point number 2 on the, the handouts, is that human life is sacred. Human life is sacred. By the way, the, the, uh, the three major world views the three major views of reality that are competing for the minds and the hearts of men throughout the world today are atheism, that's the belief that there is no God, pantheism, the belief that God is the universe, and so we're all part of God, and they believe in reincarnation, and then there's what is called Christian theism, that we believe in a personal creator God, who created the heavens and the earth, and he redeems man through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, let me just say this. With the other worldviews, uh, there's really no way to make human life sacred. I mean, even, even the pantheist who says that you're part of the universe, and the universe is God, so you're God, even the pantheist, though, um, 
would not want to alleviate, if he's consistent with his views, would not want to alleviate suffering because that suffering is, is going to help you get out of this vicious cycle called reincarnation. Um, and so basically, you know, if you kill somebody today, they're going to come back tomorrow as a, as a, a bird or a, an elephant or a human being or whatever. So uh, human life really isn't sacred in, in, panth in a pantheistic worldview. If you think it is, just go to, go to India and look at how high they value human life. There's nothing but neglect over there and people starving and people dying. Um, and in atheism, you know, if man is nothing but mere molecules in motion, uh, then who cares if, if one man, you know, named Hitler kills six million people? If the atheistic worldview is true, all we are is evolved animals and all animals are is molecules in motion, uh, it, life is not sacred. But in Christianity, life is sacred. And the reason is given in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And that reads, Then God said, let, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So human life is sacred because we were created in God's image. Um, that entails a lot of different things. Probably the key thing that it entails is uh, God has created us in such a way that we have the ability to fellowship with him. We have the ability to worship him to understand his truths and uh, fellowship with him um, now in Genesis chapter 3 mankind falls in the garden so we've marred or corrupted the, this image of God in man at the same time the Bible teaches that we retain enough of it so that human life is still sacred Take a look at Genesis 9 and verse 6. Now, by the way, this is right after God gave man, is right after the flood, God gave man through Noah permission. God said, you can now start eating meat. You can now start killing animals and using, using uh, their meat for food. But then he tells them, but you can't do this with man. And here's what he says in uh, uh, verse 6. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And many theologians, and I agree with them, many theologians see this passage, Genesis 9, 6, as the point at which God instituted human government. Now, we're not here today, uh, you know, I'm not here to give you... Uh, uh, to, to speak about the biblical view of government, uh, at the same time, let me just say this. You need two things. There's two reasons why God instituted human government. Number one, because human life is sacred because man was created in God's image. Okay? It, if, if human life wasn't sacred, it wouldn't be worth protecting. Okay? So, number one, human life is sacred. Man was created in God's image. 
Uh, but point number two, man has fallen. Because man fell, we do rotten things to each other, and we kill one another, and so in order to protect sacred human life, you have to institute, God instituted human government so that the government would protect these human beings who were created in his image. Of course, the rough, the rough part to that deal is the fact that uh, um, humans, fallen sinful humans, lead human government. And so our founding fathers, I think, were biblically correct to set up a government uh, with separation and, and separa uh, separation of, of uh, powers, a system of checks and balances and that type of thing to limit the power uh, of different humans within the government. Uh, but whatever the case, and, and then by the way, those, you know, you have New Agers who teach there's no such thing as sin. Well, if there's no such thing as sin, then there's no need for a government. So why do they want more and more, bigger and bigger government all the time? And they act like government has all the answers. And of course, if man was not created in God's image like the Bible teaches, then human life would not be worth protecting uh, anyway. So the Bible teaches that human life is sacred. Uh, the next point I'd like to make is that the Bible teaches that now, now human life is sacred because it's sacred. It is worth protecting. In fact, God commands us to protect it. That's why he instituted human government. Uh, so now we have to find out, well, when does human life start? When does human life begin? Look at Psalm 51.5. Psalm 51.5. Um, this, this verse is, is a little bit vague in the uh, New American Standard. In fact, there's two passages that we're going to be reading from today that are a little bit vague in the New American Standard. And I, I think there's a much clearer translation of these passages in the New International Version. So I'm going to read... Uh, a couple passages today from the New International Version. And the first one will be Psalm 51, a psalm of King David. Psalm 51 and verse 5. Listen to what David says. This is real important. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now think about that. A lot of pro-abortionists try to claim that before a baby is born, the baby is just tissue of the mother. It's something that's living, but it's part of the mother until the baby is born. Well, King David is saying something different. King David is saying, I was sinful. I had a sin nature from the moment of conception. From that moment when the, the, the sperm of his father joined with the egg of the mother, right at that point, human life started, and right then and there, he had a sin nature. Tissue does not have a sin nature. My, uh, my thumb, the thumb on my right hand, does not have a sin nature. Human beings have sin natures, okay? And so David is saying there that he is giving evidence that life starts at the moment of conception. Now, we believe the Word of God, that we believe the Bible is God's Word, so that's enough for us. But I'm also going to bring up some medical evidence uh, a, a little bit later. Uh, I want us to take a look at the Gospel of Luke, and now I'll go back to the New American Standard. 
Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. And verse 41. Luke chapter 1 and verse 41. Now, at this point, Elizabeth is uh, pregnant. She has uh, John the Baptist in her womb. Okay? And he, in fact, she's six months pregnant. If you read the context, you find that she's six months pregnant at this point. Luke chapter 1, verse 41. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then take a look at verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. So the Word of God refers to the unborn as a baby. And, and then it says that a baby can experience joy. The baby leaped for joy uh, within her, her womb. Now I want us to take a look at the next chapter, Luke chapter 2. And verse 12. And this is talking about Jesus after he was born. Luke chapter 2 and verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Now, why am I bringing up this verse? Well, the reason is, the word for baby there is the same word for baby in the other two verses from Luke chapter 1, of the unborn baby. Uh, the word in the Greek is blephos, blephos, and it refers to infants. It's translated usually as an infant or as a baby. It refers to infants both before and after birth. Infants both in the womb and outside the womb. The Bible does not draw a distinction between a, a baby outside the womb and a baby inside the womb as far as the, their uh, nature. Uh, the baby is a human being even before uh, birth. Uh, take a look at the book of Exodus, chapter 21. Again, I'm going to be reading from the NIV on this passage. Exodus 21, verses 22 to 25. This is God's law given to the Israelites. And uh, Exodus 21, verses 22 to 25, it says, If a man... Well, oh, uh, Verse 22, if, if men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, no serious injury to the, to the baby that was born premature, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, Burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. In other words, the punishment must fit the crime. Now, he is not, when you read the whole context, it has already been established eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, when you hit another, when you strike another adult. So that's not the point here. The point is dealing with the baby. Now, some translations, 
I believe the New American Standard reads, if men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and uh, she has a miscarriage, and then they act like the, 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 the lady could have a miscarriage, and as long as the lady's not injured, then there's no penalty. Well, that is not correctly translating that. Literally what it says there, in fact, I believe the King James is the most literal on this. Literally what it is, is if two guys are having a fight, they bunk into a, a pregnant lady, and then it says, if the fruit departs, okay? How many times have we uh, heard it? It's based on Luke, and some translations still read that way, that uh, they refer to Jesus as the, uh, as the fruit of Mary's womb. You see, when Jesus was born, he, the fruit of Mary's womb, departed from her womb, but obviously he didn't die. So it was, it was basically talking about is the premature birth of a child and not uh, a miscarriage. If it is a miscarriage, then you take life for life. Okay? That's some, some pretty strict laws there, but basically what I'm getting at is uh, the death of an unborn baby, it, the penalty for that is just as strict as the death of a baby already born and as other, uh, the death of other human beings that, you know, were born 20, 30, 40, 80 years ago, whatever. And by the way, that's one of the big dilemmas in our country today. Um, we have, uh, in, in California, they, they were charging uh, pregnant ladies who were addicted to cocaine, they were charging them with child abuse. Uh, well, I, I think that's good. They should be charged with child abuse. But how can you do that and then say that the unborn child is not a child, it's not a human being? You also had, a, I believe it was in Minnesota, a, uh, a, a drunk driver was driving down the wrong side of a highway and hit a lady's car head on and uh, the lady was eight and a half months pregnant and her baby died. And so they tried to charge this guy with manslaughter and the judge felt real bad because he knew, you know, a human being had died. But based on Roe versus Wade's Supreme Court decision, he had to basically throw it out because it's just as far as the uh, government is concerned, it's just a glob of tissue. It's not a human being. And, uh, but you know, and there's lots of little babies around, you know, right here in this building. And uh, their moms know it. And that's just one of the things that really, we're destroying the most precious human love. You know, we can receive godly love, agape, from, from God the Father when we accept Christ. He can give us His unconditional love and we can share that with others. But the greatest human love that, that is possible to attain is a mother's love for her child. And uh, let me tell you, when, it, when a society is just about to cave in, morally speaking, uh, one of the last stages is uh, when a mother's love grows cold. Uh, with Jerusalem, when they, the, Jerusalem was surrounded by the Babylonians and they were starving the people, the, 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 uh, the Jews, uh, and trying to get them to, uh, uh, trying to get them to surrender, and it got so bad that the, a lot of the Jewish mothers began to do 
what God had predicted in, in, in Jeremiah what they would do. Well, actually, he predicted it in Deuteronomy under Moses. Jeremiah spoke about it in Lamentations. But the mothers that were starving to death, some of them took their little infant babies and boiled them and cooked them and ate them because they were starving to death. And uh, your country, things, things have gotten pretty bad when, uh, when, when mothers are, are, are killing their babies. Now, let me say this. I do not think, I, I think that the, the biggest victim in abortion is the unborn baby that is, is brutally murdered. But I think the, in second place, as far as the victim is concerned, I, I think it is the ladies that have had abortions. And they've been lied to and all. But the fact of the matter is, when that baby gets to kicking, uh, I mean, a, a mother finds out a lot about the personality of her child before her child is ever even born. When that baby gets to kicking and when that baby gets excited, when that baby, you know, the, the, a mother that's had several children will know the difference between a, a mellow baby and a strong will baby before that baby's even born. And she gets some sleep with the mellow baby. But, uh, um, you know, so we're lying to ourselves. We're lying to ourselves and we're looking the other way. And let me tell you, in the 1930s, there were people who called themselves Christians and they were looking the other way and they were saying, look, uh, I hear a lot of things about what Hitler's doing to the Jews, but he's really helping our economy and... We're really getting a sense of national pride. We're getting our sense of national pride back. And so they look the other way. And uh, God forbid that the church in America would decide to do that and, and allow unborn babies to, to be brutally murdered. Now, it, the early church, uh, when the pupils of the apostles were uh, heading up the church after the apostles had died, uh, it was legal... If you had a baby and you didn't want it, it was legal to take that baby to the dump and just throw the baby there and then wild beasts would eventually kill it and, and, and eat it. And that was perfectly legal. It was illegal to just take your baby out of the house and throw it out the window, leave it on the streets. The, the Romans thought that's going too far there. However, people were even doing that and it was kind of a law that wasn't enforced. But whatever the case, the early church uh, was going way out of their way to go to the dumps, find these babies before the animals found them, and then would raise these children. And um, who was it? Was, was it you, Eric? Somebody told me that there was a, one of the great early church fathers who was one of those children that was growing up. Was, was that Tertullian? Or, okay, we'll have to... We'll have to uh, We'll have to look into it. It might have been Tertullian, but one of the early great uh, leaders of the early church had been one of those children. Can, can you imagine people, you reach the age four, five, six years old, and they start talking to you about Jesus and try to get you to accept him as your savior, and then you find out that your own mom and dad threw you away. But these people here who didn't even know you, you were a total stranger, they came and they took care of you and they fed you. And then they give you the gospel message. You think that kid's going to say no? I mean, it's like, no, you're showing me his love is real. You're showing me Jesus is still alive. Because he's working through you right now. And uh, 
But, uh, you know, if the church says no, unborn babies aren't important enough to stand up for and to defend, uh, then maybe people will question whether, whether Jesus really is alive. But uh, whatever the case, the Bible teaches that human life starts at conception. Now, there is strong medical evidence for this. Um, I'm going to read a few quotes from uh, a work entitled Christian Ethics by a Christian philosopher, Norman Geisler. Um, these are basically three quotes that are given from world-renowned medical scientists, uh, doctors who are experts in their fields, and they, this is their testimony before a United States uh, congressional hearing in 1981. Okay? Uh, first guy I'd like to read is a Dr. Jerome, a quote from Dr. Jerome Lejeune, who was no slouch. He was world-renowned because he was the guy that dis discovered what, what is now called Down syndrome. He discovered the chromosomal imbalance that we know of as, as Down syndrome. And uh, the late Dr. Jerome Lejeune stated this, to accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. The human nature of the human being from conception to old age is not a metaphysical contention, it is plain experimental evidence. In other words, he's, with Dr. Lejeune, Jerome Lejeune is saying is that philosophers used to speculate that human life started at the moment of conception. That's why with the, the uh, uh, what was the oath they used to take the doctors, the Hippocratic Oath? And, uh, well, he used to say that they would, give, they would never give a woman a remedy to cause an abortion because they recognized that life started at conception. But it was a, a philosophical assumption, and you could argue along those lines, but they didn't have the medical proof. Well, now Dr. Jerome Lejeune is saying, hey, I don't care if you're for abortion or against it, it's a, it is a scientific fact that we have, the medical science has proven that human life starts at conception. So if you want to abort uh, the unborn, you know, just recognize you're, you're killing uh, unborn human beings, but they are human beings. Uh, Dr. Michelin M. Matthews Roth also testified and stated this, in biology and in medicine, it is an accepted fact that the life of any individual organism reproducing by sexual reproduction begins at conception or fertilization. Now, a lot of big words, what this doctor is saying is just the, the obvious. If you have two creatures that sexually reproduce, whether it's human beings or gorillas or penguins, whatever it is, um, when the male and the female get together, if the sperm cell and the egg cell unite, that's, that's what makes babies. There's, there's no magic wand three months later or nine months later that goes from non-human being to human being. Uh, it's, you know, a husband and a wife get together and because God ordained it that way, they, they make a baby. 
and it's their sexual union that brings it about if the sperm fertilizes uh, the egg. It, and it's pretty obvious, but uh, that's what medical science has, has confirmed. Uh, Dr. Jaime Gordon, also testifying before this congressional hearing in 1981, stated this. In 1981, this is eight years after abortion was legalized. Uh, but now we can say unequivocally that the question of when life begins is no longer a question for theological or philosophical dispute. It is an established scientific fact. Theologians and philosophers may go on to debate the meaning of life or the purpose of life, but it is an established fact that all life, including human life, begins at the moment of conception. So uh, there's really no debate about it. The medical science is clearly the medical science clearly points that human life starts at the moment of conception. See, what happens is from the sperm cell you have 23 chromosomes and from the egg cell you have 23 chromosomes, okay? And once they join together that gives you 46 and then you, you basically have a new human being. Now there are sometimes chromosomal problems, and that's what Dr. Jerome Lejeune was an expert in. It doesn't mean that it's non-human, but it means it's a human uh, with, with some kind of abnormalities. But human life starts at the moment uh, of conception. All that is needed is, is uh, warmth, food, water, you know, nourishment basically, and given enough time, uh, that human being is going to grow. But it's a human being from the moment uh, of conception. Now let me show you some guys. Now I don't know where those doctors stood basically on the abortion issue because there are a lot of pro-abortionists. An awful lot. If you think pro-abortionists automatically believe that life does not start at conception, uh, you need to think twice because most pro-abortionists are also pro-euthanasia and pro-infanticide. Euthanasia is what they call mercy killing of, of either the elderly or people who are in pain or whatever. Um, and the infanticide is the killing of infants already born, like baby Jane Doe, who was uh, Supreme Court of one of the states in this country, allowed, uh, uh, allowed them to take away the intravenous food just because the baby had Down syndrome. You know, Down syndrome babies, uh, Christ, the Christian response would be, well, the baby needs extra love. Uh, the world's response is, okay, you can remove the intravenous uh, food, and it took 12 days, and that baby starved to death. That was, that was back in the 80s in uh, America, the land of the free. Um, and page 158 and 159, these two gentlemen, James Watson and, and Francis Crick, uh, they, they were the guys that won the Nobel Prize for cracking the genetic code. I mean, these guys are the cream of the crop. These are the in, these guys are the kings of the hill of the intellectual elite in their field. And uh, this is what uh, Dr. James Watson wrote. Remember, a Nobel Prize winner. I mean, I tell you, when when you look at the guys that we give Nobel prizes to nowadays, every once in a while you get a good one. But most of them, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of difference between their views and Hitler's. 
and uh, things are really getting scary. But anyway, this is what Watson said, Dr. Watson. If a child, he, what he basically said was, look, he said, we got this big game that's going on, okay? We, uh, we fooled the people who are not in the know, and we got it to the point where we fooled them into thinking that the unborn baby is not a human, and so now we're getting rid of all these unwanted babies. So then he said, well, why don't we just go a step further? See, this guy's pro-abortion, but he knows that it's human beings that are being killed. So he said, why don't we go a step further? And so this was his proposal. And by the way, uh, uh, Crick made the same proposal in his statements as well, so he's in agreement with this. If a child were not declared alive until three days after birth, then all parents could be allowed the choice only few are given under the present system. The doctor could allow the child to die if the parents so chose and save a lot of misery and suffering. So, you know, we've got this attitude where we can play God. You see, you know, Friedrich Nietzsche said, God is dead. What he was saying was, we're throwing away our belief in God and we no longer need him and we grew up and we found out he really doesn't exist. What Nietzsche failed to realize is that if God is dead, man is dead too. In other words, any value that we have as human beings comes from God. So you take God out of the equation and you, all you got left, you don't, I mean, it's, it's either all men are created equal or it's survival of the fittest. Maybe that's why Friedrich Nietzsche, the atheist who said God is dead, why he died in the year 1900, but he predicted the 20th century would be the bloodiest century in the history of mankind because man would come of age, would realize what it's like to live in a universe without God. Um, by the way, Planned Parenthood, all these, you know, talk about them doing so much. You hear CNN telling us over and over again all the good things that they're doing and this and that. And, and, I, and I know people, people very, very close to me, ladies, who when they were hurting, when they needed some advice, and uh, before they got married, they were pregnant and stuff, and they needed some advice, they went down to Planned Parenthood. And every lady that I've talked to, that has had an abortion or went to Planned Parenthood for advice has told me they only got one side of the issue. They were not even asked, do you want to have an abortion? You know, the conversation pretty much begins, when do you want to have your abortion? And, uh, but anyway, Margaret Sanger, by the way, there was a, there was a, they made a television program out of her and there's a lot of documentaries about her on television. It's a rewriting of history. Like the author of this book, it's entitled Killer Angel, a biography of Planned Parenthood's founder, Margaret Sanger. It's written by George Grant. Uh, like he states, the only real difference between this lady here and Joseph Stalin and Adolf Hitler and Benito Mussolini, the only real difference between them uh, is that the cat's out of the bag with those other guys. We know who they were. But there's a big cover-up about her. I mean, she held the same views as them. If you want to make another difference, yet yeah, uh, there were more human beings, a lot more human beings killed due to her views 
than Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, and all those guys put together. Okay? But, uh, anyway, she held to the belief, but Planned Parenthood has not changed their views either. They just cover up her views. And, uh, but she believed in eugenics. She believed the white Aryan race was superior. Uh, she believed that, uh, that blacks and Jews, that, uh, we needed to, uh, start aborting them, go into the inner cities and start aborting all minorities and that type of thing. And she had a master race ideology. Keep the, uh, subhumans from reproducing was her view. Um, you won't hear that from the Planned Parenthood people, but that's, that's the fact, and this author documents it over and over again. She wrote a book entitled Woman and the, uh, Woman and the New Race. Woman and the New Race. And uh, th this is one of the quotes from her book. This is something that she is asserting. She is pro proclaiming one of her beliefs. She says, stated this, The most merciful thing a large family can do to one of its infant members is to kill it. Uh, you see, Margaret Sanger didn't, she could care less whether an unborn baby was alive or not, because she was pro-killing babies even after they're born. And now this, the people have been screaming for you, you know, Francis Schaeffer, the, the late Christian thinker Francis Schaeffer, was opposing abortion even before it was legal in this country. It was legalized by a few states, but he was, he saw the writing on the wall, Europe, okayed it, Europe legalized it, he knew America was gonna and so in the sixties he began writing books saying that we have got to stop abortion, the unborn baby is a human being and then he said and, and let me tell you if we don't stop abortion it's gonna to lead to infanticide, the killing of babies already born, and then it's gonna eventually lead to euthanasia. And uh we've seen things like that legalized in Oregon. Uh, a uh, doctor-assisted suicide. Let me say, a, doc, a doctor's job, he's supposed to help the healing process that God has put in man. He is not supposed to be a, a professional state-sponsored killer. Okay? Um, but I think uh, Francis Schaeffer uh, hit the nail right on the head there. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 6.